Well, good morning. I, uh, I realize some of you probably could care less about the Super Bowl. I realize, though, there are some who are pretty excited about the Super Bowl and are planning their parties, and I was told by someone, I think this is correct fact, um, how many chicken wings do you think will be consumed today? I think it was $8 billion that uh, people will be feasting on and enjoying. Well, we're glad you're here. Let's uh, bow in prayer together. Father, take these words, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. We invite you to uh, move and allow um, you to give us understanding that we would know how much you love us and how much you are for us. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when the news of what I had done got out, folks from newspapers and magazines came around to find out who I was. I didn't see what all the fuss was about, writes Osceola. But invitations started arriving to come visit the president in Washington, D.C., and to the United States in New York City. You know, I had never been out of Mississippi except to Niagara Falls one time a long time ago, and when I was there, the roar scared me so. But I went and got a Presidential Citizens Medal and was honored by the U.N. Who would have thought I would be making trips like that, wrote 88-year-old Osceola McCarty of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Prior to that, nobody even knew who Osceola was. But her fame began to grow quickly and spread when it had become known, it had become public what she had done. Soon after Osceola was discovered, she actually went to Times Square, where she ushered in the new year with, at that time, then 87-year-old Dick Clark. Osceola made the front page of the New York Times, People magazine, and a whole host of other magazines. She even made an appearance on the David Letterman show. And to top it all off, Osceola received an honorary doctorate from Harvard. I'm kind of hoping you're wondering, what did Osceola do? Why all this commotion around an 88-year-old woman who at the age of 12 dropped out of school and never finished the sixth grade? What's the big deal about this woman who throughout her life earned just a few dollars here and there doing laundry for people in her neighborhood? Why the news media frenzy? What's the story? You see, Osceola would have died unknown, in total obscurity, except for what happened on July 26th, 1995. I want you to listen to her story as she tells it in Guidepost magazines a number of years ago. She said, I love to wash and iron, and when I started going to Eureka Elementary School, I washed my own clothes on Saturday mornings. I boiled them in a laundry pot. Anybody ever done that? And then I hung them to dry on a clothesline in the morning sun. In the evening, I heated up that heavy old iron on the cook stove and did my ironing while standing on a box. And so I had all my clothes ready for the next week. I love school, especially my teacher, Miss Hill. I must have been 10 or 11 years old when she said one day, Asiola, would you come up to the desk, please? So I went up, and she talked to me real low in a, in a quiet voice. She said, Osceola, who, who does your clothes? Well, I do. You do? She looked surprised. 
And she went on and she said, well, I've got a linen dress that I'd like you to iron. Um, what do you charge? I said, ten cents. But when I returned the dress, freshly washed and ironed, she paid me a quarter. And as time went on, one person told another person about my washing and ironing, and the work just seemed to come. Some children in the household where my grandmother, grandmother worked had actually discarded a doll and buggy, so my grandmother brought it home for me. I started putting my dimes and nickels and quarters under the pink lining of that doll buggy. A few years later, her aunt took sick, so Asiella dropped out of the sixth grade. She wasn't able to continue on, and she fell so far behind that she never went back to school. She just continued washing and ironing and tucking money under the pink lining of that little buggy. One day I passed a bank and it seemed to be the thing to do to keep my money there. I took in all my coins and dumped them on the counter. It must have been about maybe $5. The teller put my money away in a checking account. Every month when I paid bills, I dropped off more coins at the bank. All that is except for what I put in the collection plate at the Friendship Baptist Church. Nobody instructed me to do that. It just seemed fitting to give back to God something of what he had given to me. Well, as the years passed, I made a rule that I would always keep up my church giving. And once a year, I made a payment on my insurance and my burial plot. And every month I paid my water, electricity, and gas bills and set aside a certain amount for groceries and everyday needs. Over the years, God showed me how to spend a certain portion on this and how to save the rest. And it must have been him because nobody else showed me. One day when I went to the bank to deposit my money, the teller said, Osceola, you know, if you put your money in a savings account, you'll get some interest on that money. Yes, ma'am. When can I do that? I asked. Well, you can do it now. And I did. Then on another visit, one of the people at the bank said to me, you know, Osceola, you ought to put your money in a CD and build up a little bit more money. And I said, yes, ma'am, when can I do that? And she said, right now. So I did. And I just kept on adding to it, sometimes $20 a month, sometimes $15. I only went to the bank to put my change and dollar bills in, not to get them out. As long as I was able to keep working, I didn't see any need to take out that money to buy things that I don't have to have. She continues, I kept on working, and even after the age most people retire. It was December of 1994 when my hand began to swell. And so due to arthritis, Osceola took a kind of what I would call forced early retirement at age 86. And she says, I said, Lord, I want you to stay by me and guide me and protect me in all things. And he did. On July 26, 1995, the bank called and asked me what I wanted to do with the money that I had when I passed on. Mr. Paul Laughlin, he's one of the officers there, sat down with me and spread out ten dimes. And he told me that each dime represented 10% of my money. So I reached over, took a dime, and said, that's for the church, and a dime for each of the cousins. And that left six dimes for a dream I has always had. I've always wanted to help some child go to college, she writes. I'm going to give the rest of my money to the University of Southern Mississippi so deserving children can get a good education. 
I want to help African-American children who are eager for learning like I was, but whose families can't afford to send them to school. Well, Mr. Paul, the bank officer, looked at me a bit funny and said, Miss Osceola, that means you'll be giving the school $150,000. $150,000? I had never realized how much I had. And the amount about took my breath away. Now you know why Osceola received so much attention from the President and the United Nations and from the media. Osceola accomplished what some of the brightest and best of us fail to do. And that's just manage our money. This 88-year-old grade school dropout was wise enough to do what some of the most sophisticated, intelligent, and gifted people in the world have not been able to do. On just a few dollars a week, Osceola lived... And she even left a legacy. Osceola was able to budget carefully, save consistently, invest wisely, and she was able to also give generously. And rightfully so. Osceola has been able to do what a majority of us have failed to do, and rightfully so, she became a national hero. Now, if you contrast that with the feat of Osceola compared to what I was talking about last week with this current of, of, of where we move from production-oriented society to consumer-oriented society to the point where they taught us how to spend and then when we didn't have anything to spend, they gave us easy credit and they said, here, we'll give you some money and you can go out and you can spend on the basis of what you don't have but what you may have and you can just... And so we came to what we came to this last September... Two decades of easy and innovative financial products, meaning that virtually anyone could borrow any amount of money for any purpose. And as a cultural current gained speed over the years, household debt went from $680 million in 1974 to $14 trillion today. The average household owns 13 credit cards with 40% of them carrying some kind of balance. And finance experts estimate that 85% of Americans will have less then $250 in their saving account when they reach 65. And that's after 40 years of hard work. And now you can see why Harvard gave Osceola an honorary degree. All the hoopla. And I don't mean this to say shame on us in a sense. I mean, I mean this to say that we're in a position, many people are in a position in our culture. There may be people here today who, who are in a place, and, and maybe it's not to such a degree of bondage to debt, but that maybe it's to a point where God is saying, you know what, it's time to do something about it. It's time to do what Osceola did. And that's to basically have a plan. And to put that plan into action. So that it can begin to control what the Word of God says, our desires We're looking at Galatians. We've been in this passage of Scripture, and, and I, I wanted to, for three weeks take a, a kind of short little trip on this verse where it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, those desires. Sins can be when you just miss the mark because there's a cultural current of, of our society that's pulling us in the direction of spending that gets us over and above what we need into a place of bondage. Or it can be, God, I don't care. I'm going to live the way I want 
sin has a kind of a wide berth. Our desires have the ability to take us in a certain direction. But Jesus, God and the Father got together and they willed. They said, you know what? We need to do something for my people, for the people that I love. And so he gave himself for our sins to to rescue us from those desires that we find ourselves in the present evil age. And we're just taking a look these three weeks specifically in an area we're applying it to, and that's finances. How does how does God rescue you? Through Jesus. Obviously, he gives us a new heart and with that new desires. And my prayer is that he will, through this passage of scripture, and as we look at this this morning, we will look at this this verse of scripture where it says that the Lord Jesus Christ rescued us from the present evil age. He came so that all of us who at one time lived among the ways of the world, it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse three, all of us at one time lived among the ways of the world, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, the flesh. Following its thoughts and desires. And I I wanted to share with you what I believe God has done. The simple path of Osceola. What's marked out in God's word. When a person says, says, God, I really need you in my life. I invite you to come into my life in the midst of what's going on with our culture. In the in the in the very place that I am right now. I ask that you would come in and begin to set me free from these very desires that down the road can create all kinds of difficulties and problems. There's three things that I want to share about, and that is what what the plan does. I mean, Osceola, she didn't have a real big plan. She just had a plan of how she would live out her life. Pretty simple. A plan is merely the word that everyone probably wants to not hear right now. And you cringe at. We call it a budget Right. It's basically a monthly plan of how you will spend your hard earned money in such a way so that you will be able to live on what you spend and not beyond it. It's no different than what you see in all walks of life, because I would think if a builder came to you and said, I'd like to build your home, you're looking at him and you were looking maybe for someone to build your home, and you had a couple that you interviewed, and you asked the person, well, how will you build it? And, and what do most builders have when they build a home? They have a blueprint if he didn't would you be a little worried if you go to school and you're sitting in let's say in in your college class and the teacher has a course that she's going to or he's going to present to you and one of the first things they do is they hand out a plan called a syllabus if you go to the bank and you want to borrow some money from the bank and they look at all the different things one of the things they'll look at is a what a business plan or performa correct can you do what you want to do? I mean, if you wanted to actually make a decent meal, most cooks work off of some kind of plan called a recipe. Sometimes they don't. I remember when my wife was gone, I liked food a little hotter. There was a time when I made a, this kind of Mexican casserole thing. I wanted to make something Mexican, so I got this recipe book out, and I looked at the recipe book, and, and I saw what it called for, and I threw in a little bit of that mustard. And then as I put it away, I opened the door, and I saw some Tabasco. I thought I'd pour a little bit of that in, and then I saw some of this other kind of mustard that I really like. I put that in. I added about four or five different mustards. And I, I took a bite into that, and I want to tell you, it was sheer pain. 
I was in the hospital for about a week. Just, just kidding. I basically let my desires determine my direction. You know, you might like as a cook a lot of sugar, and one of the problems is that if you keep pouring in sugar, because that's your natural inclination, it's going to get you in trouble. What you're putting together is going to result in what you don't want it to result in. And so what happens in our life often, one of the things that God says is put a plan together financially. Make certain that you have a plan, because a plan has the ability to discipline your desires. Very first thing. Why? What a, why do you need a plan? Why did Osceola find herself successful? Because she had this simple plan. She said it was God. She just listened to and she, she was able to because she knew what she needed and what she had planned to spend. That's what she spent it on. And it disciplined her desires. And what happens so often and what happens in our world where we today have been able to get this free credit and free easy spending and now it seems to be getting cut off for us. It's a perfect time. I think God may be in this. It may be his love and grace to set me and others free and say, look, it, I'm going to show you as you put this plan together that you can put it together and it can give you lots of freedom. The plan has the ability not only to discipline your desires, but it helps you discover your deeper desires. What's most important? You see, when you start putting a plan together, you actually have to, to look at it and recognize that some of the things that you want may not really be that important. You know, we watch that little little uh, story that was on the screen during the offering. The person who was looking to give something and realized the best thing to give was nothing. Something always seems to get in the most important things, in, in the way of the most important things in her life. I tell you, if you looked at Asiola's life, she didn't have a whole lot of anything. She had a lot of, in some sense, nothing, but she had more than most any of us in the sense that if you read through the article, she had deep and rich relationships. What life is all about. And we get so busy sometimes that we don't discover what our deeper desires are. Our deeper desire to want to be loved and to be known and, and to have a sense of significance in other people's lives. And we get so busy because of the world around us pushing us with our desires. Which the Bible says is just missing the marker. It can be a high-handed before God. It calls it sin. It means that you step away outside of what His desire and His plan is for you. And when you do that with the current of what happens, we begin to start buying experiences, these things and all these things. We think we need in the reality is what was really most important is just being with one another. His relationship. And really, you know, the word that you don't like to hear, budget, is a good thing. It's a painful thing at times. But that pain allows for you to begin to discover what's most important at times. And it helps you then do a third thing. It helps you determine what you really want and what you need. It helps you determine what you, what you, you think you want, but what you really understand is just a necessity. And it defines those two. In fact, when you um, sit down, some of you, and watch Super Bowl today, it amazes me the kind of energy, the time, the investment, um, all that is put into a 15-second slot to get you to buy something you don't need. And you have to ask yourself, what do you put as a defense to that daily onslaught of people who are seeking to get you to give something towards something you don't 
really need. It's the simple word plan, budget. It defines what you need. I remember one time when my daughter was about two and a half years of age, she was um, playing with her toys. I I was reading and I put the cartoon in the background because, you know, parents, how you kind of like, if the toys don't work, then maybe they'll watch a cartoon kind of thing. Well, I'm reading. She's playing engrossed in her toys. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like the, the TV got louder. It seemed the colors got more vibrant. The music more lively. The action more compelling. And I looked up at the screen. And then as I looked up, I saw my daughter's head look up. And she sat glued for 15 seconds watching this thing. It was over. She looked over at me. And she said, Dada, I want that. (laughs) Boom. Back down to her toys. That happens in our life all the time. We are, we are actually, throughout our life, we're walking through a Target and we're walking by a J. Crew or we're walking into Gander Mountain or we're walking into the grocery store. And, and what happens is everything's screaming, I want that, I want that. And the little child in us goes, I want that as well. But what's going to stop you from wanting that which you don't need? A predetermined course of action that is laid out in a plan that says this is what we need in order to live life well with what God has given us. I, I have to say it myself from experience, and many of you know, we are in unprecedented times where we as a nation, we as people, have found ourselves in debt to desires that we had back here. And I think God is saying, folks, I love you so much. I put a halt to it so that you could not be so in bondage. And it may be just a few of you are saying, you know what, this, I know we need a plan. I know we need this budget. Because one of the things a budget does too, very, this, this gets very spiritual right here, okay? It, it develops your character. It develops your character. If, if you really want to follow Jesus Christ, if you really want Him to, to be... Um, in moving in your life, you'll, you'll, you'll find that a plan and a budget, if you choose determined to stick to it, will actually help you say no to things that you impulsively want. It's what psychologists and psychiatrists call delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is not something we like. It's not something I like. As soon as your pleasures desire it, you, you usually want it. I, I, I love this reading in, in chapter 4 of James. I'm just going to read this to you. He's James, Jesus' brother says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? You know, in your marriage at times, what causes all the bickering? And in most studies, a lot of them show that one of the most single greatest things that cause bickering and complaining in, in arguments in a home are around money. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet because you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And then when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And one of the things that God tells us in his word, that as we seek to open our hearts and say, God, I I invite you to to start moving into my life. And he has the power to do it when we cooperate with him. 
He begins to start moving in our life and he allows for us to stay with him through the pain and understand that the gain of what we will get from him and from others is greater than the immediate gratification. And so it develops character. Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Simply a budget is a planned approach, denying your selfish desires so that godly desires may be able to take root in your life. As you live for Jesus, you will see your character form such fruits as patience and peace and faithfulness and self-control. And that was what God most desires. God's deepest concern this morning is not whether you have a budget or not. It's that you begin to develop the character becomes like Christ. And in that process, you begin to use the kind of tools that God places around you. His Holy Spirit, the, the wisdom of financial books and experts, the ability to take tools like a plan called a budget and to begin to put those things together in such a way that you do not live your life enslaved to something he doesn't want to be enslaved to. God's deepest concern really isn't whether you have a budget or not, but he is concerned about you growing so that you begin to understand what it means to even follow him and deny yourself so that those things that God wants to build in you, even in such an area called finances. And I have someone said, well, how did the first message go on this morning? And I said, well, it's just tough. Whenever you talk about finances, it's not fun. Now, people aren't laughing like, oh, that's a really good one. But God loves us so much, He wants our best because He loves us so much. The Word of God is full of Proverbs that encourage us to wisely put together spirit-directed financial plans so that our desires don't get the best of us and destroy us in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships. Many of you, because you had parents who loved you, they, they put you on a budget when you were young called brushing your teeth, right? They did that because they didn't want you to have cavities. They didn't want you to someday live in debt without any teeth. They wanted you to experience the gift of of healthy teeth. And so they said to you, once a day, hopefully, right, you take this little brush and you put some toothpaste on it and you just go like this. And you forced yourself at a young age to do that so that hopefully later on you didn't have difficulties. That's all a plan is. That's all a financial plan is. Now here's how it works. Here's what Osceola did, basically. It's what all the financial experts will tell you. They give you pretty much the general rules of what I'm going to tell you here are the same. Uh, the Word of God, again and again, this is kind of the basic structure of what I call a biblically-based budget. And I call it the 10-10-80 plan. It's not new with me. I've heard it preached from others. It's, this, it's a simple plan. Here's the plan. You take the first 10% that you have been given and you bless others with it. You give it to God so that he can bless other people. You give a blessing to God by unselfishly giving back to him because of how much he's blessed you. It's like Osceola said, you know, I just had to take a dime. I had to give it to that church because I just felt like if God gave that to me, I need to give this to him. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 gives God's advice. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of the first 10% of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. Take the 10% of every paycheck you get, the very first part of it, you take that dime of the 10 dimes that Osceola was told by the banker, and you say, this is for you, God, to bless others. Then the next is 10% 
the very next part of that is you take that next dime, so to speak, 10%, and you, you bless yourself. God is so good. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you after 40, 50 years of work, whatever it is, He wants you to be saving to take care of yourself through that time if there's a need or something that has to, you have a, an emergency, or He wants you to come to the point of the end of your life where you can live well on what you've saved. So you basically take the next 10%, 10% you give to God to bless others, you take 10%, you bless yourself so that you, as you save it and set it aside, have something to protect yourself, have something for your future life. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says this, The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends what he or she gets. And then here's the, the, here's the trip to it all. You take 80% and you live on that. You enjoy life's blessings. That's really what God, God loves you so much. He says, you know, I will provide for you. And as I provide for you, as you bless others and then you bless yourself, then I want you just to enjoy life's blessings. The 80% determines the kind of house you can afford, the utilities, the car payments, food, clothing, and the rest. The 80% determines your lifestyle. Now, what's interesting in, in, in that whole that whole idea of lifestyle, I told, we talked about it last week with the current of, of society and how that moves us. I asked the question, what is it? What is it that determines the style that you want to live? And so often people don't even think about it. When I will counsel with people for pre-marriage, that, that's a good question to ask. And I ask them, is it your parents' lifestyle? Is it the peers around you? Is it going to be what's projected by the media? Well, the Word of God is pretty clear. 10%, you give to God to bless others. 10%, you set aside and save to bless yourself. 80%, you live on that. Enjoy God's blessings in His life. Now, I realize that people are in all kinds of different places, and there's some of you who go, boy, yeah, you're right, preach it, preach it, pastor. <laughs> Don't get too proud. Because there's probably areas in your life where God's dealing with you. And if you're in a situation where you're experiencing this kind of difficulty with regard to your finances, it may be that right now the Spirit of God is just saying to you, here's an opportunity. I've actually, this thing's been rolling along and back in September I put a stop to it. And now in, in February, you know? Yeah, February 1. And last week God is saying to us as a body, this is important stuff. Important that we allow God to move into our hearts. And I, I can tell you that it isn't an easy thing. And it requires, um, it requires I believe, uh, the willingness to, to do so. So here's what makes a plan like this successful. Here's when a plan, a budget succeeds. Here's, I'm going to give you the, the secret right here. Okay, The moment you choose to do it. The moment you say enough is enough. The moment you say I will determine to live differently. The moment you begin to say is the pain of this growing debt and the difficulties that I'm experiencing around it worth it. The moment you say, God, I am willing to invite you in right now to make a difference, to change me. And here's what helps it continue to work. The moment you do it again and again. 
Because you do it once, you're going to, I mean, it, it takes probably a number of different starts to get it going. Sometimes you can get in the right environment, and I'll talk about this in a moment, that we as a church have some things that we want to come around you to help you um, move into this so that you can do it with, with others strengthening you. It always works better when you have a group around you. But the moment you do it again and again, I have to confess, there's times in, in, our, in our marriage where I have kind of, looked at the income and had my wife do the expenses and, you know, kind of you're not together on it. The only time it's been successful is when we get together around it and do it together. Uh, and and uh, it's not been that long that we've been doing this, but it's been for uh, about a period of time where we, every Friday for us, we do it again and again. There's lots of good helps, like there's quick and there's all kinds of different things you can begin to do. But what's important is that you do it again and again and again, week in and week out. If you let it go too long, it just feels like a burden. You can hardly do it. And here's the, here's the real key. And here's what I'm going to appeal to you right now. It's most successful when you choose to do it today. Now. Not to wait. For some of you as parents, you need to do it for your kids' sake. The moment you choose to do it and make a commitment, not next week or a week or a month, but today. If you would say in your heart, if God's speaking to you in any way about something as basic and as simple about finances, I don't know how often you hear messages on finances, but it's one of the things the church should talk about. It's talked about more in the Bible than a lot of subjects. It creates more pain in marriages. It creates greater difficulty in kids as they grow up and haven't been taught in it. And so I'm going to ask you, as we conclude this service, to make a commitment um, to say, God, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to ask Carol to come, and he's just going to share a couple of announcements and then also share um, a story uh, and have someone share a little bit about how God has worked in their life. Thanks, Kevin. I'm going to ask Kevin and Michelle Lakin to come up here and and uh, share a little bit about the Crown Ministry. You've noticed that's in the bulletin. We're starting a new group uh, next Sunday evening. And we've had about 120 people in our church go through this course thus far. How many of you have gone through it? Raise your hands. Okay, you can talk to some of these people, too, to find out more. But since we believe the Bible is true... And the Bible has so much to say about all of the possessions that the Lord has given us. And this course helps understand that. And uh, some of you have heard that word today, budget. That's not a dirty word. That's a good word. And so we want to focus on that a little bit as well. But Michelle and Kevin have both been taken the course. They've taught the course. They've been trained. So as you think back about the course uh, a few years ago when you took it, Michelle, what were some of the benefits of being involved in the Crown Small Group? Well, it was a few years ago. So, um, But one of the things that I was surprised about was that, as Kevin shared, the Bible talks about money more than almost any other subject. So we know it's important to him. And Crown Ministries just gives you the opportunity to go through a study of what God's Word says about how to handle finances. And then it gives you some practical um, ways to apply that to your life. Good. And specifically on the budget aspect, in the, in the course, 
What did you, uh, did it help you understand the purpose of a budget, how to develop a budget, how to stay on a budget? How did that go? Yes, and that is the challenging piece of it. Um, the workbook that you're given uh, when you take the course gives you a series of financial exercises to go through, and it helps you um, walk through how to put together a plan um, and has you look at how you're spending your money, and so that's very practical. Thank you. And Kevin, as you think back on the experience of taking the Crown course, what are some of the benefits that are still with you today? I think the thing that I remember the most and is still with me today is the idea of stewardship, that we are simply managing what God has given to us. It's not ours, it's His, it belongs to Him, and so that whole concept of stewardship I think is a great uh, concept to hang on to. And when it comes to the budget, what aspect of that training and equipping was uh, good for you that you could recommend to others? I think, as Kevin mentioned, a couple things earlier. One is intentional communication. You know, it's, it's so easy to go through your day-to-day -day activities and not communicate with each other financially, and that really can cause a, a chasm in your relationship. So I think that's one important piece. Uh, the other piece is freedom. You know, when you put things down on paper, and even though we have been budgeting, it enabled us to review, but that gives you some freedom to say, okay, I can, I can uh, you know, work on my relationship with God. I, it, I've got the freedom to uh, in, improve my relationship with my wife and the freedom to give maybe in ways that we hadn't done before. Thank you very much. You can understand from what they've said that they would recommend this course, and I would recommend it to you as well, Becky and I took it, we've taught it, and it, it helps bring that true financial freedom. And that's part of what God wants us to know, the truth of his word applied in this way. And we've had a number of good sign-ups already. As you go out to the lobby today, there's a table where you can sign up, look at the materials, understand what's involved. You can go on their website, crown.org, and learn more about the vision of Crown Ministry and, and how that works. And if we fill up, we've got leaders, we'll start another section. So we encourage you to take advantage of that.